as you know, we're in the middle of um, calling our next lead pastor. And, um, and so last week, everyone had an opportunity to meet with the pastoral search committee and the elders and kind of hear their journey and as they went through the selection process and how they came to call um, uh, Dale Gustafson to be our next lead pastor, which was uh, great, that good questions, and uh, it, was, it was wonderful to share with those of you who, who were able to make some of those meetings. So the next step, which I've been waiting for for a long time, is then to have the, our, um, the, the lead pastor that the elders have called come and actually teach um, as the next step. So I am so thrilled to invite uh, Pastor Dale Gustafson and his wife Lisa to come forward right now. I'm a hugger, sorry. And you'll see, and you'll see in the picture below or above us, uh, their daughter Anna, who uh, couldn't be here today, but uh, it's definitely a very close part of your family. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Dale, would you like to just say a few words about you and Lisa, about your family, and a little bit about you from a family perspective? Yeah. Um, Lisa and I met in college, and when I tell people that, they still say, how much older are you than her? Okay, we've just aged differently, <laughs> just so you know. We're the same age. And we got married right out of college. We've been married 32 and a half years. Our daughter's 20. Yeah. Good job. Um, our daughter's 22. She just graduated from Biola. This picture was her graduation weekend. And the joy on my face is I was done writing tuition checks. I'm like, you're on your own, babe. Good job. She doesn't really believe me, but she is. She's engaged to be married to a wonderful young guy. And um, yeah. You're like, how old is she exactly? No, I'm just kidding. She's probably watching. Sorry, Anna, love you. Um, he's planning on being in ministry, which I try to talk him out of. I'm like, why? He's like, because I want. So it was all good. My wife's a, a school teacher. She's been teaching a long time. I don't want you to do the math in your head. 25 years or so. And she teaches kindergarten over in San Jose at Leeds Elementary. And I will tell you the ministry she has with those kids and those parents is, is just flat out amazing. And I say, man, even parents who don't know that you're an answer to a prayer, because they may not be praying, you are an answer to prayer. And it's just, a, a, it's, it's great. So that's, that's my family. We are a small group, but we are a tight-knit group and um, deeply love each other. Yes, that's uh, so wonderful as we've uh, re-engaged over the last year, getting mm -hmm. to, back to know you guys and uh, getting closer again. So, um, Lisa, before we uh, excuse you, we wanted to bless you guys. So I'm going to read a, a passage in, in Numbers, um, a blessing. So if you all can just raise your hand in support. Let me just, uh, you know, the enemy hates this. 
He absolutely hates this. And so we want to make sure that you're protected and you're blessed. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. May it be so. Thank you. So, Dale, one last thing before um, we let you get on with your teaching. Would you like to say a few things? You're a longtime um, resident of Los Gatos yeah. and the, at least the lower part of Silicon Valley, and you've been getting to know San Francisco really well. Yep. You want to say a few words about, about Silicon Valley and how you see it? <laughs> In, in, three, minutes, in right. three minutes or less. Yeah. <laughs> I will start with, with my home, with Las Gatas, with my town, with your town or your area. I've also lived in San Jose, that there is a deep, deep thing within us for uh, the people we live with, the people we live near. There has been. Um, I was during my time here, really active at the high school, coaching football for the reason to get to know families and be immersed in that. And even though I don't coach anymore, I show up on Friday nights and they let me in and I still have that relationship with them. But my heart breaks. What reminds me so much is in the story of Nehemiah when he is told about the condition of Jerusalem and his heart breaks. And I often will challenge people and ask myself, what does my heart break for? My heart breaks for our town. My heart breaks for the people. Heart breaks for our valley. That, that it's a place of amazing ingenuity and amazing people from all over the world, yet it's uh, a place that doesn't know Jesus. And my heart breaks for that because it's not just getting people to believe what I believe. That's not what it's about, but it's getting people freed and unchained and, un and unbroken from the things that are holding against them. And that's where my heart lies. And it's like any way possible, anything we need to do, anyhow. And it starts by just flat out loving people and we go from there. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Something tells me we're behind schedule, but I'm going to say a quick prayer to kick off the... Uh, I'll put us behind teaching. schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Some of you are like, who is this guy? <laughs> I don't even know. Go ahead. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for being here with us. And as we prepare to um, hear from your word, first we, I, we just bless Dale with um, your words and prepare our hearts to receive what he and you want to share. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. I think I'm moving this up here. Good. It's good to see you all. If um, if you're here and you've never we've never met before, and you're like, "What is all this excitement about?" I have no idea. <laughs> I'm with you. Way overrated. And if you do know me, and you're like, "Oh, is the jacket like a new thing?" No, don't get used to it. It's just a special day, and I'm trying to do like an image thing, like he's grown up now, or something. <laughs> It is, it is wonderful to be back. Um, we are looking forward to this day to see people and to be loved by people and to talk with people. Um, there's been such an amazing journey 
for us. And our heart and our desire is always to do exactly what God is asking us to do. And the way God works in my life so many times, he's like, hey, I got something for you. And I'm like, oh, what? Okay, okay. You know, and he's like, okay, here's your options. What, what? And he's just excited. What do you want to do? Because God's not up there just crossing his fingers, hoping I get it. He's very open and active with me. And here is the options. And we're excited that, that this came about and that we get to be back with you today. So even though this feels a little bit like one of those shows where I sing and then you vote, <laughs> I'm just going to lay it out there and you do what you do. How's that? Here's a verse I want to start off with. From 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this, We know that we all possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this chance to be with brothers and sisters that I know. And those who I don't know, may you unite our hearts together. Father, as we take postures before people and before you that sometimes are loving and sometimes they're so knowledge-based we've just forgotten the truth. Help us, speak to us, open our hearts and minds today. In your name, amen. I had this class in college as I was studying ministry. It was called Interpersonal Relationships which I'm like, okay, this sounds like an easy course. I can just pretend to be happy and nice. And then, which I am, don't worry. And then, but the professor one day said, look at the person next to you, we're gonna do an exercise. So we had to sit across from each other. He goes, now open your arms and talk. And in my immaturity, it was really, really hard to sit there two feet from someone just saying, talk to me. This is what I like about you. And I've just struggled with this ability of like, no, no, this just feels awkward. This feels different. Therefore, it's probably not good. And I kind of walked away going, oh. but for some reason, I was 19 at the time. I'm no longer 19. I remember that day like it was yesterday because I wrestled with this thing of doing something that didn't feel comfortable to me in the moment. And something the professor said as, I, as we left the class that day was that my body might be a door to what my mind and heart wants to experience. And what's happening in your heart and your mind is also affecting your body. Now, I'm not going down these paths of self-help and all those kinds of things, but we as believers sometimes have forgotten the actual temple that God has created and how it all works together in openness, in sincerity, in our posture before God. And the questions that I've learned to ask myself over the years of understanding what's really going on inside of me is, do I even want to hear what this person has to say? Do I want to engage with what these people are even saying? Do I want to learn something I haven't learned before? And the big one, do I even want to forgive? Do I want to show empathy to what's happening, even if this person deserves, in my mind, what's happening to them? That's all indications of an inner posture that I'm taking before people and that I'm taking before God. There's this principle in philosophy and rhetoric called the principle of charity, which says that one should interpret another person's statements in their most reasonable form, not in the worst or most offensive way 
possible. And in this book called The Coddling of the American Mind, one of the suggestions the authors are making is that we have gone to assuming what people's words are are the worst and not giving charity or favorable approach. And what we often do is say this person's heart or their intention is this, and we stop short of saying, maybe my heart intention needs a good looking at as well. The ability to do this comes from a place of health and an open inward and outward posture. Let's go back to that phrase once again that Paul says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Now, if you're a studier of the word and hopefully you are and a reader of this letter, Paul is writing to them. And this is his opening statement in response to some questions they were asking him. They were like, here's an issue that we're going through in our lives, currently in our situation, Paul. What do we do? And their questions kind of sounded like this. They were around like, do we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Now, before you think I'm just talking about that, it does paint a picture for us. They ask questions like, well, since most meat sold in the town marketplace came from sacrificial animals that had been slaughtered at pagan temple ceremonies, what does, that, does that ceremony taint the food, Paul? Or is it okay if Christians buy this food? Or could they eat it if it was offered to them at a friend's home? Or what about this scenario? What about the various social events, weddings, parties, where we might accidentally eat of some food? You can go on and on about the little slices of things that we all can do within ideas and the things that knowledge does to us. But Paul... So much like Jesus responds to a question with an overarching phrase. Before I get into the details of your questions that go down paths that probably aren't even helpful, let me just respond to you in this way. Knowledge will puff you up, but love will build you up. He's really implying, I, I get your question, but let's start with the posture. Let's start with the heart and your mind. So the question I ask all of us today, are we puffed up or are we built up? In 2019, I was in Rwanda with my daughter and we have some ministry partners there. We do have a ministry going on in Rwanda. I'll tell you more about that in another time and um, depending how the vote goes next week, I guess. So, or I can come back as a guest speaker and just say that. Once again, jokes. So, we were in Rwanda in 2019, and uh, we're doing a lot of different ministries. And we had this outreach event the night before. Now, I've, I've been a part of some very large outreach events in, in Rwanda where there was a lot of people showed up. This one was a little bit smaller. They'd actually set it up on a road, and there's people sitting on both sides of the road. So while I was preaching, there was like motorcycles going by me as I was talking. Like, hey, how's it going? High five, you know. Jesus loves you. And like before I went up to speak, the distortion on the uh, soundboard was so high, it just was like this screeching noise and put my arm around my daughter and I'm like, there's some preachers who get like the best bands and cheers and you know, before they speak, this is what your dad gets. <laughs> and she's like, I'd have it no other way, dad. So I went up to preach and there was a man that came forward, unbeknownst to me, and here's a, a picture of him. You just kind of see his background, back. I'm sitting in the front of the church and I know you don't see it very well, but... He, he was talking um, 
in, in Afrikaans, and he was speaking, and I didn't really know what he was saying. This was the next day. And um, his posture was really nervous, and he was scared. And through some translation, I had learned that this was a, young, a man that had grown up in this village of which I was doing ministry in. <laughs> and he had gotten a job with the government. And he started to um, lord it over other people he lived with. In this village, they might be making $5 a week. That's a good job. And he was starting to make much more than that. Well, he kind of got addicted to this money, so he started embezzling. And he, as much if you know the story of the prodigal son in, in the in New Testament, Jesus told he kind of was living that kind of life, kind of Lord, kind of coming back to the village and being like, I know more than all of you and showing off his money. Well, he got caught for embezzling from the government and he got fired and he lived homeless for a while. And then he came back to the village and the village rejected him except for his mother. And the night before this picture that I took, he had given his life to Jesus. And so he, in the service, raised his hand and said, I guess I want to come and, and, and apologize before the church. And he's just standing there moving like this. And I didn't understand what he was saying, but people in the church were as hard looking back to him, as stoic as they could be. And he just shared his heart and he asked for their apology. And then my friend, his name is Pastor Bracious, in the next picture came up to him and just put his arm around him. And he said, brothers and sisters, this is our brother. The posture changed. The man just started to shake with tears. The people, I wish I would videotape this, the people in the church erupted and just started to sing. The whole, and they all sang the same song. I don't know what it was, but it was like, they just started singing. Then there was a celebration and he wept. And I'm looking at my daughter. I'm like, something really cool is happening. Who knows? And so we tried to make it up in our heads because later they told us what was happening. But it was amazing the difference of an internal posture that led to an external posture and external change. This man, a year and a half leader, is now leading the kids' department at the church, teaching them the ways. And I share that story because that changed my mind and my heart about what posture and acceptance can do. Let me show you something real quick from the life of Jesus, dealing with the same things. I'm going to read the story to you, then I'll go back through and break it down a little bit, if that's all right. Luke chapter 7 says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at, the feet, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Well, two people owned, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Huh, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who was this that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me back up. Jesus is talking about this story. There's four things. There's a setting. There's this host. There's this uninvited guest. And let's just look at Jesus for a bit after that. The setting, often religious leaders at the time would sit and gather at their house and have these things where they basically just puffed each other up. These theological debates kind of comparing what they knew and what they didn't know. And sometimes they'd have a guest speaker come in, probably not to learn from them, but probably to bring them down. Jesus was the guest speaker at the time. There were three things that you did when someone showed up at your house to welcome them really, really well. You would kiss them. You would wash their feet because they've been traveling around in sandals most likely all day and anointing with oil. Not doing that is like having a guest in your house for dinner and you say, you just keep your jacket on. We'll see how long we let you stay. In Hawaii, when I lived there, you took your shoes off before you entered a house. If you kept your shoes on, everybody would notice it and know that you were from the mainland. That's a little hint. Take your shoes off. When you come to my house, take your shoes off. It just keeps going. But they would know. And Jesus was definitely greeted with a passive aggressiveness a posture. We'll see. We'll see what you really have. This guy Simon was the host. There were some Pharisees, I think, that at least wanted a closer look at Jesus. That might be some of you here today. I want a closer look. What's really there? No doubt a great part of Simon's motivation was to check him out. Was he really a prophet? Was he, how was his message comparable to our message? Was he a threat? Was he an ally? Just who did he claim to be? And could he be recruited to their side, maybe? And then there was this uninvited guest, the sinner. Now, this wasn't someone who just, like, they didn't use this phrase, like, oh, she was a sinner, kind of like, well, everyone's a sinner. No doubt her sins were very public. People knew them. People threw them around. She had a reputation. She was known for things. They were scared of who she was because she could damage them. And she heard that Jesus was in her town and she went to see him and most likely got there early, got her spot. The dinner's probably outside, but her mere presence in the Pharisees' home showed something. Somebody had courage. Somebody had determination. It wasn't Simon. Someone had a posture that went to Jesus and wanted to be freed from something. 
Most likely they were laying at a table, which means that they didn't have like chairs necessarily. They're probably leaning on, a, on their elbow and eating with this and their legs are probably out from away from the table, which means that's the one place the uninvited guests had access to Jesus. The woman could no longer wait. The adoration for, and love for Jesus just bursted out of her. There's a posture there. Because she was reclining with his feet away from the table, that may have been as close as she could get. So she's like, I, I just, I'm going to just touch him. Her tears is what she wiped his feet with. Her hair is what she dried it with. She kissed his feet. She touched his feet. She anointed, not just with oil, but with the best that she had. This isn't a sign of effective, effectiveness or efficiency or like a ministry plan. This is just 100% authenticity. She's like, Jesus, you're right there. I'm right here. No more. I know how I'm seen. I know how people think of me. I'm just going to trust Jesus that you don't. I'm going in. Then the motives and the posture of the Pharisee get revealed, as does the deity, the grace, and the forgiveness of God. 739, reminder of this, says, says, when the Pharisee who had invited him in said to himself, so it's kind of this inner, you know, those, when we talk to ourselves, that's really what he's doing. And he's going, this man were a prophet, you know how we do that, like as if we're not talking. If a man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Simon's reasoning is really illuminating in something like this. A lot of us have a lot of reasoning as well. His premise was this, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know people's character. And if Jesus knew this woman, he would have nothing to do with her. So his conclusions were this. Since Jesus has accepted the woman, he didn't know her character. And if Jesus doesn't know her character, he can't be a prophet. So Jesus, since he wasn't a prophet, we can reject him. He's done. Simon, like many of us, was being very logical about his thinking and his response to Jesus, putting it into the words that they wanted to hear. He was definitely a knowledge puffer. There was nothing wrong with the flow of his logic other than the fact that is based on the conclusion of faulty premises. This is what I mean. His first premise was this. If Jesus were a prophet, he would be able to discern her character of those around him. That was correct. It was his second, his second premise that failed him. Simon, like his fellow Pharisees, and the word Pharisee means to be separate or to be holy, self-proclaimed holy people, assumed that holiness was primarily a matter of just being separate from those things we don't like, being separate for those things that can contaminate us, being separate from those things that we are different about. And that holiness was achieved by keeping oneself separate from sin and from sinners, and according to this view, Jesus would have to, have to shun the sinful woman in order to remain holy. So actually in Simon's mind, if Jesus, you reject her, you're in. If you accept her, you're out. That was his posture. But Jesus, he was a built up by love. Simon concluded that either Jesus didn't know this woman's character or 
He was physically contaminated now, and he wasn't holy. But Jesus went beyond Simon's expectations. Not only did Jesus know her character, he knew Simon's thoughts. He's like, I'll show you the kind of prophet I am. I know her, and I know you. I know both. And let me show you what I do with that. Both of these things, character and thoughts, they definitely affect our posture before God, don't they? How we approach him, how we approach people. We'll go on in the story. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. I hope Jesus paused for a moment right there. I mean, I like, I like theatrical effect. I like comedic effect. I like pausing and, you know, and just, I just hope Jesus goes, Simon, I got something to tell you. And maybe he looked around for a while. He didn't have a watch, but I hope he checked it, you know. You guys ready for this? And Simon is just like, all right. Tell me, teacher. What kind of posture do you think he had right there? Tell me, teacher. What do you got, preacher boy? What do you got for us? I'll tell you whether I agree with you. I'll give you the thumbs down or thumbs, thumbs up or thumbs down. I get both options on Facebook now. I can delete you as a friend. I can cancel you. I can get you uninvited to things I don't want to hear anymore. Versus a posture of like, I want to know you. I want to hear you. Tell me, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money loan. Lender, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. This scenario, Jesus absolutely includes Simon. One of those people is Simon. I'll let you guess which one that's Simon. Simon, here's this, here's that. Who do you think is going to love him more? And he says, probably the one you forgave more. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? This is the part I love the most. If I lost you for a minute, will you just re-engage with me right now? Simon, do you see this woman? Jesus had been face to face with Simon out of respect for being invited to this party. The man who inwardly questioned him and did not outwardly welcome him. Then Jesus himself changes his posture. Jesus turns away from Simon and looks at the woman. He faces her. And then he says, Simon, I'm asking you to do the same. Simon, look at her. Notice her. Acknowledge her. Simon the Pharisee thought that Jesus was the one who could not see her. But Jesus turned the thought around on Simon and says, do you see this woman, Simon? Are you able to? Simon, do you see her love for me? Do you see her repentance? Don't judge it. Don't think, is she really, do you see it? Do you see her devotion to me? Because Simon, that's what I see. 
see, at the very core of all of this and the things going on in, in our world and in our families and in our relationships and all the things, you know, all the things. We have a Savior. We have Jesus who says, this is what I see. I see the heart. I see the intention. I see you trying. I see your repentance. I see who you are. I love it. You don't need to do anything to get my attention. You already have my attention. And we are called to be a very reflection of that same thing to other people. We can experience things different, my friends, than ever before if we're just willing to adjust our inner and our outer posture. That's hard work. That's detailed work. That's been my journey, to be dead honest with you, over some time as well. And when you come out the other side of some things, you start to see clearly again. And you start to go, this is how Jesus sees me? I want to see people the same way. When I lived in Maui, we lived up in the mountains a little bit, so we needed a septic tank. And we needed a new one put in, so they dug out this big hole, put a septic tank in. And they had torn apart whatever the lawn was. It was a pretty big space. And they did a really nice job where we showed up and it was just like beautiful, like dirt. And like, wow, they did a great job. Well, then it rained. If you've ever been to Maui, it rains and it rains hard. And after the first big rain, all the topsoil was gone. And what was remaining was hundreds, if not thousands of fist-sized rocks. And I'm like, oh, look, Lisa, we now have a rock garden. But it wasn't really that good. So when, when guests would come to visit, we'd say, hey, free stay, go pick up like 100 rocks. Some would, some wouldn't. And I would go out and pick up rocks sometimes. My mother-in-law would pick up rocks. But as it kept raining, the grass started to grow. I'll just be honest, I got lazy. I was tired of picking up rocks and the, and the lawn looked pretty good. So the grass started to grow and I could no longer see a lot of the rocks that were there anymore. So therefore, in my mind, they must not exist. The grass kept growing because there's no off season in Maui. Let me tell you that. You know how that, you know, this time of year we're like, oh, I don't have to mow the lawn as much if you have a lawn still? That doesn't exist in Maui. You skip one week and it's like 10 times worse. You're like, oh, complain about living in Maui. I know, I got to complain about something. So the lawn grew, there's still rocks out there, and I'm like, I got to mow this thing. Took my lawnmower out. I found another excellent thing, a, a purpose for a lawnmower. It's not just to cut lawn. It's also to find rocks. If you're wondering if you have rocks in your front yard, take your lawnmower out. Now, often because it was hot, I would be in shorts doing that. And when that lawnmower would hit a rock, it was like an explosion of shrapnel. I mean, this wasn't just a conk. It was like, and I'd look down at my legs and they'd be bleeding. And I'm like, dude, that was a cool rock. But of course, did I just stop and pick up the rocks? I'm like, no, that's one less rock. So I'd keep mowing, and man, it was just shrapnel. So instead of picking up the rocks still, I started wearing goggles because I might hurt myself. And like shin guards and pads, and I'm just like, void, you know, walking around every week. And I turn over my lawnmower. It's taking out chunks out of my blade. And yet still... I would just bring it to the lawnmower repair shop. They'd sharpen the blade and I'd bring it home and I was still chopping up rocks. You're like, why did you do that? I don't know, looking back. Because I guess I just figured since I can't see them, they're not there. 
I got tired of taking shrapnel off my shins. I got tired of taking chunks out of my lawnmower blade. I got tired of life being harder. So I got on my hands and my knees and I crawled around my lawn and I'm like, there's one. Walk around, oh, there's another one. And after some time, when you actually deal with the rocks in your garden that you cannot see, there's life on the other side of that. But it took a change of posture. It took a change of the things I can see. It took a change of something internal, and I'm just like, enough. My encouragement to you all, if there's things that are just kind of hiding the rocks in your life, or there's things, you, reasons you can't love, there's things stopping you, man, it's enough. Let go. I'm going to invite the worship team out. And there's something that's been a really helpful process for me the past couple of years. And I invite you to join me in this process. You do not have to. You may, not, you may be like a 19-year-old Dale in this class where I had to open my hands before my friend and feel like, this just feels, that's okay. But what I learned is that I start to engage with God. It starts by just stopping. It continues by opening myself up. It changes by simply receiving. And then it deepens by responding. So I want to invite you into this. If you feel comfortable, I don't really mean that. Even if you don't feel comfortable, if you're willing to, I invite you just to close your eyes for a sec. Maybe you listen to yourself breathe. I know there's a lot of other practices where they talk about breath. Breath is a gift from God what he gave Adam and Eve. He put breath into them. If you've ever seen someone stop breathing, you'll know what a gift it is. Just listen. And then if you want to, I invite you to open your hands, not to me, but to God. You do this when you're about to hug somebody, so it's not that different of a physical emotion. I'm just inviting you to open up to God. Receive Jesus' words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take a moment to say something back to God right now. Response to that is just all part of reworking some of our inner posture pushing out some of that knowledge that's puffed us up and just the love that should build us up. Jesus, I love you. I am sorry for the things I have held on to, 
the things that have separated from me from you, I thank you that you love me. In your name.